Hello, this is Father Michael Eads from the Toronto Oratory, and you're listening to Lexio et Oratio, a short spiritual reading podcast followed by a reflection. St. John Henry Newman, Apostle to the Doubtful, by Mariel Trevor and Leonie Caldecott. The later years continued. London and the idea of an oratory. Difficulties were pressing, not only in Dublin, but in England. All the time Newman was traveling to and fro across the Irish Sea, 56 times in the service of the university, he recorded, he was trying to deal with a series of crises in the two oratories, which issued in a serious conflict between them in 1855. This tension is the origin of the misunderstanding whereby Newman has been called sensitive. Modernized as difficult, supposedly taking offense easily and brooding resentfully on imaginary slights. This is almost the opposite of the truth. Few men have more patiently endured undeserved slander and contempt, first as an Anglican and later as a Catholic. For while Newman forbade any talk to outsiders by the Birmingham Oratory, Faber and the London Oratorians told their side of the story freely to Wiseman and all their influential friends, showing Newman's letters about and some of their replies. What they did not show were their own letters to each other, in which their real motives and their attitude to Newman are clear enough. Faber enthusiastically adopted the current ultra-papalism of Rome, which was largely a reaction against the increasingly secularist nationalisms of European countries. The ecclesiastical powers of the Pope were magnified as his temporal sovereignty was eroded by the forces of the Risorgimento, fighting for the national unification of Italy. Newman did not think the temporal power, a medieval creation, to ensure that the Pope was not a subject of any emperor or prince, was essential to the papal office in modern times. This attitude was not congenial to the London Fathers. They also persisted in thinking intellectual work unphilippine, in spite of the fact that St. Philip had encouraged one of his first disciples, later the famous Cardinal Baronius, to write church history, keeping him humble by also making him the cook. Although Newman had given the London House its independence very soon after its foundation, reserving only the right to be consulted in matters of importance, the London Fathers and he somehow ended up disagreeing over the interpretation of the rule to the different houses, an all-important issue 
because it was the one thing that bound the Oratorians together in their common life. Newman, who was deeply committed to St. Philip's oratory and responsible for its development in England, was extremely concerned. He decided that he must go to Rome himself to sort out the situation for the sake of the future. At that time, he expected to found other houses. Liverpool and Leeds were both possibilities, and another house in London, in the East End. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Angels of God, our guardians, dear, to whom God's love commits us here, ever this day be at our side, to light and guard, to rule and guide. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus, teacher of teachers, have mercy on us. Saint Philip Neri, gentle guide of youth, patron of thy own, vessel of the Holy Ghost, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We have to keep in mind, in terms of the life of Saint John Henry, these two houses, Birmingham, and London. These are two existing oratorian communities, very famous, very beautiful churches that are doing great work even to this day in England. Birmingham, again, is where Newman first went. It was where, after his conversion, he and his converts went to live. It's where Bishop Wiseman was looking after things. It's where the Pope sent the Oratorians when he gave them their brief, that is, their official instruction, and sent them back to England. It's where Newman, with the rule of the Oratorians, the customs of the Oratorians, modified for modern conditions in England, had established the first Oratorian community in the English-speaking world. So Birmingham was where they started, Soon after he got back to England, after a time in Rome, figuring out his vocation and doing a novitiate, Father Faber, with an equal number of men, came and gave themselves to the service of St. Philip, laid themselves at Newman's feet and said, we want to be Oratorians. They tried to form this community. They had <clears throat> the Birmingham house, the outskirts of Birmingham and Oscott. They had this new mission in cotton that Faber had linked to him through the aristocrat. And Newman eventually found a way to send those men to London. Newman establishes a house in London. Now he's got two houses. He's the head of both. He soon gives the London Oratorians their independence. Remember, all of this began in England in 1848. Two years later, they established the house in London. Within five years, a huge disagreement erupts. And part of the disagreement is about the hearing of the confessions of nuns. And Newman had 
not wanted that as part of the original life of the Oratorians in England. It was something St. Philip had been largely against. There were always exceptions. It wasn't that you couldn't hear the confession of one nun. It was they didn't want to be chaplains to large convents in which an Oratorian would be caught up for, for an incredibly lengthy amount of time, a lot of emotional and intellectual energy, and Newman thought this to be a regular confessor for the nuns was not a good idea. Well, the bishops, especially Cardinal Wiseman in, in London, who had been moved, he was originally in the Midlands, he's now in London, he's now a cardinal, and he is putting great pressure on the London Oratorians to help him with all these nuns. And basically, Newman thought that the Oratorian way of life, of which he didn't think the bishops themselves were that concerned about, they had their own problems, they had their own needs, and the Oratorians could help them. But what about St. Philip's way of life? What about protecting that? And that's what Newman was fundamentally concerned with. He believed he had been asked by God to bring the Oratorian way of life to England. And he wanted that life to spread. He wanted to be faithful to St. Philip. Part of why he was in Dublin, he was asked by the bishops, asked by the Pope to do this, but he really hoped to start an Oratorian community in Dublin too. And what he, he discovered, more or less, is that the London Oratorians, well-intentioned, well we can say, wrote to Rome with the influence of Wiseman and basically got the Oratorian rule for England modified. And this, to Newman, was very, very dangerous. He had not asked for a modification for the Birmingham House, and Newman began to think that the way of life of the Oratorians in England could be radically changed overnight. Newman feared, deeply feared, that influences who didn't understand the Oratorian way of life, didn't understand what St. Philip was about, would so influence things that the Oratorian life would be altered in such a way it would disappear. And the fight, if you want to put it that way, the disagreement between the London Fathers and Newman, the Birmingham Fathers, I think is basically a question of Newman being absolutely convinced that the London Fathers did not understand the gravity of the situation and that there was a principle here that he didn't think that they sufficiently understood that for pastoral reasons, for reasons of expediency, they were trying to get these things modified. They weren't trying to be deceitful. But Newman thought they were a little bit naive and possibly being manipulated. And in any event, what came about was something that, if it were allowed to continue, would mean the end of the oratorian life, the independence. Because oratorian communities, every oratorian community is independent, autonomous from the others. They're directly under the Pope. They're given permission by a bishop to live there. And Newman wanted to preserve this incredible gift that St. Philip had given to the church. 
And when he thought that what he was responsible for was in danger of being undermined, he fought back fiercely. And he even would use different arguments, different ways of expressing himself, which have to this day left the impression of him being so sensitive and so difficult. And it's very interesting that that whole impression of this Newman as the great hater or Newman as the oversensitive intellectual may really not be true. If he really did shed cheerfulness like a sunbeam sheds light, if he constantly encouraged those around him, then we have to not let this impression that people have often given of Newman as the very sensitive, difficult person to win the day. And why is this important? Well, it's not only important because of what Newman is or who we think Newman is. It's also very important for our own lives and for our friendships. There are always two sides to a story. And we need to remember this. But we also need to remember that we cannot believe everything we're told about someone else. Very often, if we hear bad things about a person or we hear a certain description of the person, okay, fine, maybe true, maybe not. But let's try to get to know a person ourselves. Let's test out what people say about them. Let's not just believe what people tell us about someone else. We ourselves, during this Lent, which is coming up, are trying to practice almsgiving, love for one another. Let us truly know one another better. We cannot love what we do not know. And as another oratorian once said, Blessed Anthony, if we take people's qualities and add them all up, the good and the bad, generally speaking, he said, the good outweighs the bad. But if we're going to know this, we have to get to know people's good qualities. We have to ask the Lord to help us truly know them. And that kind of loving knowledge, that understanding love of other people, that's what we really want to practice this Lent. St. John Henry Newman, a man who was so misunderstood, pray for us that we might seek to have an understanding love of those that God has put around us, understanding them so as to do true good for them. For as you always teach us, Newman, truth and love must always be kept together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.